0: Good morning. Good morning. How's everyone doing today? Fine. Fine? Good. Okay, that's great. I always feel very humbled coming up on the stage after Melissa. She says in two minutes what takes me 30 minutes to say, and I'm always very humbled by it. So thank you so much, Melissa. Would you join me in a word of prayer before we dive into Scripture today? Jesus, thank you so much that in a week from now, we'll be in our homes We'll be with family and loved ones. And we'll be opening up gifts, celebrating the greatest gift that ever came to humanity when you chose to come into our world, to dwell among us. And I thank you so much, Father, that you are here, that you are with us now. And I recognize that there are some in this room who in a week from now, they'll be celebrating Christmas, but you are not part of their life. They are still caught up in their sin and their brokenness and their chains. And what they need now is for you to reveal yourself to them, to be real to them. And so I'm asking, would you use this time, as we, we come to this sacred moment, and open up your word and see what you have to say, Would you be with us so that those individuals might know you and that as a body, we might come out of this praising how good you are. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Today we bring our long series called Metamorphosis to a close. And if you're new with us, or maybe you've missed a few or whatever, for whatever reason, you don't remember why we are doing this series. We are looking at how the never-changing gospel changes us. And here's why that's important. Because right now we're watching in the American church that a lot of people, my generation, are leaving the church. Because we don't see the value in it. We think it's all about you just come to church, you know, every four to six weeks, whenever it's convenient, just Christmas and Easter, you throw a 20 in the offering, but you just come to make yourself feel good, you just come to make yourself feel like you're a good person, and that's the narrative my generation believes about the church, because we don't see any difference between someone who's a Jesus follower and someone who's not. We just see the same group of people. We see the uh, same divorce rates. We see the same brokenness in the homes. So my generation thinks that there's nothing to this, which is why we're doing this series. Because the gospel For those who are truly followers of Jesus, who have truly surrendered their life to Jesus, who have truly decided that this is not just a one hour a week or one hour every few months, but this is something about every minute of every day their life being shaped by the gospel, there is transformation that takes place. And so that's what we've been looking at. Because that's what Paul, in his letters to the Ephesians, wants to get across to us. That the gospel never changes, but it does in fact change us. That it can change your circumstances. It can change your relationships. It can change every little thing about you into who you were meant to be, into who God has always wanted you to be. And so for this series, we've been challenging ourselves. We've been diving in verse by verse, looking through the letter of Ephesians, looking to see what Paul says, and then challenging ourselves with different activities to do in relation to this series, to what we hear every Sunday morning. And maybe some of you have actually put that into effect. Maybe most of you probably just forgot about it on your way out the door. But those of you who did put it in effect, maybe you actually saw something of it. You saw a deeper connection in some of your relationships. You saw a deeper connection in your prayer life and the meaning behind the things that you do, because the gospel became a part of it. And we've looked at why this is important. We've looked at how we can do this. We've looked at different areas in our life where we need to be challenged to see where does the gospel say about our sex life, about our use of money, about our parenting, about our marriage, about our need for power. The final question we need to look at is what does this look like when it goes to effect? What does the gospel do when it comes to our lives? What does a transformed life look like? And in my opinion, there's no better example of this than a guy named the Apostle Paul. When the Apostle Paul first shows up in history, he's not a fictional character, by the way. He's an actual historical individual that is supported by countless documents, not just in the Bible, but outside the Bible, that he really lived. And his first half of his life was a nightmare for anyone who knew Saul. That's what his name first was. It wasn't Paul, it was Saul. And he had this big goal in mind to go in and hunt and kill Christians, in fact, when he first appears in the story of history, it's recorded in a document, a journal called the Book of Acts, and he's, it's said about him that says that Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This is not a nice guy. This is a man who's very arrogant, who's very prideful, who's very evil. And Let me paint you a picture of what this would have been like to live in the days of, of Paul. So imagine you know, you're going to be home maybe this afternoon. You're going to be snuggled up on the couch as a family. You're going to be watching yet another Hallmark movie. Guys, I'm sorry. I apologize. That's probably going to happen for you. right? And you, you picture yourself. You're just snuggled up on the couch. You've got you know the dogs with you. You've got a blanket wrapped around you. You're drinking hot chocolate. It's a wonderful family time. And all of a sudden, your front door gets knocked down. And Saul walks in. And he's got a host of armed soldiers with him. And, and they come, they take you, they put chains on you, they drag you away to prison on some false charges, also they can have an excuse to kill you. See, Saul was a man who had a license to kill. And he used it. And he enjoyed using it. He was the kind of guy that when people heard that he was coming to town, people would pack up their homes and leave, and those who'd stay would hide in basements. They would hide in attics. They would hide anywhere they could to get away from this guy, and he loved that. He would brag about having that reputation that he was feared like this. For those of you who are Harry Potter fans, Saul is pretty much Voldemort, right? You can't get any worse than Saul. And then one day, as he's on his mission, convincing himself that he's doing God's work, that he's good with God, maybe that some of you are thinking the exact same thing, oh, I'm good with God, and you're in the same boat that Saul was in. While he's on this journey, he encounters the resurrected Jesus. Everything changes about him. Who he was might as well have died that day. In fact, he changes his name from Saul to Paul so that when people hear him and hear his story, his very name symbolizes something has happened. Let me tell you about what has happened to me that has changed my life that might very well change your life too. That's what happened with Saul. And he goes around preaching this very message that he once killed people over. And he's doing all these good things. And eventually the Roman emperor is like, we got to stop this. So I'm not liking this message that Paul is telling. He's telling people that I'm not the emperor of the world, that there's this homeless guy from Nazareth, this Jew who apparently died and he resurrected, who's now apparently the king of the universe. That's not acceptable. we got to stop that. And so Paul's arrested. Imagine the irony. The guy who used to arrest other people and get them killed, now he's arrested. And he's being brought to Rome to be face-to-face with Caesar, to give an account of what he's been saying. But before he faces this trial that eventually will lead to his death, he writes a bunch of letters. And one of them is the letter of Ephesians. And in it, I think we see at the very end what a transformed life looks like. Of what the goal is, what this should look like. And I know we say all the time, it should look like, well, us looking like Jesus. But we say that a lot, but what does that mean? Well, I think in the passage we're going to be looking at today, we're going to see some actual examples of what a transformed life should look like. And so if you're a Jesus follower, I want you to listen to this, and I want you to be asking yourself some questions. The things that we're going to look at, are they true about you and your life? And if you're skeptic, if you're like, man, I don't know if I believe in this. I'm just here because a parent dragged me here or my spouse dragged me here. I don't really believe in all this. I don't think it's as important as you make it out to be, Mason. No, that's fine. I just want you to hear a true, historically verified story about a guy who had his life completely changed by Jesus when he got to know Jesus. And I just want you to think about one thing that's you. What might happen... If this is real, if this was your story. Now we pick up where we left off, and if you recall last week, we ended up where Paul talked about the need that we need to have as a body of believers to be praying for one another. In fact, let me go ahead and read that passage so you can remember. It was in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. He tells us that we need to be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Remember, prayer is huge for Paul. He's like, this is what we need to be doing for one another. And that's why we challenged ourselves last week, that sometime this past week we encourage you to go out and actually pray with someone. Not just say, hey man, I hear what's going on in your life. I'm going to pray for you, right? But no, like actually stop and say, in all of the business, just stop what you're doing and say, let me pray for you in this particular moment that God would use his power, his will, his strength in your life. And I hope some of you maybe did that, right? But regardless, Paul says, hey, we should be praying for one another. And then he follows it up by saying this in verse 19, asking that we would pray also for me, talking about himself that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. I love the way he says that. He's like, I'm, I'm not a prisoner, I'm an ambassador in chains. And I'm asking, would you help me to be bold in my presentation, that I might, may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Understand, he, he's in prison. He's about to face trial. And he's like, guys, I know what's coming ahead. I know I'm going to stand before Caesar, and I want to be bold in preaching the gospel. Can you imagine how tempting it would be to change the narrative, to change the gospel? I mean, he's about to meet the most powerful man in history. I mean, the Caesar Augustus, okay, the, the Roman emperor, was, had temples built to him. His people worshipped him as a god. Even in Israel, there are multiple temples dedicated to worshiping the Roman emperor. And this is the guy that Paul has been going around saying he's a phony, because Jesus is the true King of the universe. Wouldn't you, and if you know you're going to meet this man, knowing that you're going to have to be honest with him, wouldn't you be like tempted to change the narrative? they are like, oh, no, 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 Caesar, I didn't mean it when I said Jesus is the king of the universe. I mean, that's just hyperbole. That's just something that we say. Really, Jesus just wants an hour of your time on Sunday morning every few weeks, right? He's not going to ask for more than that. Uh, you, Caesar, you know what? You go ahead. You have all the other time of our lives. Jesus just wants this tiny little bit. If you just give us this little bit, we'll be satisfied. And Because Jesus, he doesn't have anything to say about how we should use our money or our time or any other aspect of our lives. Let's just, let's just keep Jesus in this nice little box and there we'll all be safe. It would be so tempting to say that. And maybe you've experienced that temptation. Maybe you've experienced that when you've been trying to share the gospel with someone and it's so tempting to try to water it down, to try to make it safe, try to, Compromise to protect yourself and your reputation. And Paul's clear. He's like, I know I'm facing this temptation right now. And I want to be bold. I don't want to to, to shy away to protect myself. I'm recognizing that if I say the truth, I'm going to die. And I want to be bold in proclaiming the truth because it needs to be preached. And he's asking for prayer. He's asking that the body that he has served... The churches he has planted will be praying for him, knowing that if their prayers are answered, they will never hear from Paul ever again. Which, by the way, every preacher can relate to this passage. Preaching the gospel is not easy. It's very uncomfortable. There's many times I sit there and right before I come up and I'm like, God, I don't want to say what I have to say today. Please, just like light, lightning strike the building, Right? Which would be interesting in a metal building. You know, we'd all be fried, I guess. But <laughs> the point being is, look, you got to be praying for your preacher, and not just me, just anyone who's going to be on this stage. If we want to he- see the gospel move, and we've got to have people who are praying for those who proclaim the gospel, because like Paul, we need to be bold and proclaiming the truth of Scripture. And that's where Paul's at. He's like, I need help, which is radical. Because Paul's narrative, his history, was he was the guy who didn't need help. He was the guy who had it all figured out. He could solve any problem on his own, thinking that he's like he's got enough talent and resources and skills and abilities to solve any problems. And maybe some of us can relate to it. Because when we find problems, what do we do? we immediately think, let me find some solutions to figure this out. Let me figure out, you know, I've got the talents, I've got the resources, I can solve any problem, I don't need help, because we live in a world where to ask for help means to admit some sort of weakness, admit that we need something from others, and we don't like that. That's our narrative. And if you've ever criticized a decision your boss made, someone else made, someone in the community made, a community leader, or a church leader has made, then you can recognize with this aspect where we think we know what's best and we don't need any help, and that our way is the right way. That was Paul's old narrative. It's a narrative of many of us. But notice what's changed here. Paul's not trying to prove anything to anybody. He's not trying to get his value from other people. He's not trying to like, hide his weakness. He's being open and honest. He's like, guys, I'm going to enter a very tough situation. And if it works the way God wants it to work, I'm going to die. And I need help to be obedient to what God wants me to do. See, this is the sign of transformation. Transformed people are humble people. Humble people are fine with asking for help. Because they're not looking to find their value in others. They're all right with admitting their weakness because they know when they're weak, that shows the strength of Christ in them. And that's where Paul's at. He's like, guys, I'm, I'm going to be humble enough with you to let you know I need the body of Christ and I need the people around me. Would you say that's true of you? Or are you still in the other narrative of thinking, man, I've got this, this is all in me, I can do this, I don't need other people? Which narrative are you part of? After this, Paul does something that, in my opinion, as a pastor, I see as incredibly inspiring. He's got this friend named Tychicus. And he's talked about Tychicus in other letters. Tychicus, in all these other letters, he talks about how encouraging Tychicus is. He's like, this is my friend Tychicus. And when he speaks, man, I'm just, my soul is uplifted and I'm just so encouraged by Tychicus. But he does something with Tychicus that's just mind-blowing as a pastor. And a situation when Paul probably needs all the encouragement he can get... He sends his friend away from him to the church in Ephesus. He sends, sends Tycheus to him, and he says why in verse 22. He says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Paul's work, his ministry, he wasn't a lone ranger. He worked with a team of other awesome individuals, just like here at the Bluff Church, where we've got pastors, we've got elders, we've got stewardship team directors, we've got ministry directors, and we've got an army of volunteers who every single week work together to make this happen so that together we can make Jesus famous. And Paul was the exact same way. He had a host of people that he relied upon who each had unique gifts. Titus was an encourager. And in a time when Paul needs all the encouragement he can get, he doesn't want it. But his greatest concern is that the people he's leaving behind, that they would be encouraged. Which I just find incredibly inspiring. That the very thing he needs, that he needs someone to remind him that he's not alone, that he's not unloved. He's more concerned that his people know that, even if that means for a time that he doesn't feel it in return. Like, that's a, an awesome thing. That is a model pastor right there. And it's an example of transformation. See, transformed people are willing to give up what blesses them so that others may be blessed. Would you say that describes you? If you have any inkling within you where you're like, man, I'm willing to go without I'm willing to help someone who I don't even know, who's a stranger in my own church, and I'm willing to help them when they're struggling. If you feel that need within you, that's a sign that you've had some sort of transformation, because normal people don't do that. But you've realized that you've been blessed by Jesus, and you're willing to go without in order that someone else might be blessed. And I'm going to say that again, because honestly, I wish more men and husbands would hear that. In fact. I've got a few in my family who hopefully will watch this before Christmas so I can have some really awkward family Christmas uh, gatherings. So let me say this again. Transformed people are willing to go without, are willing to give up blessings for themselves so that other people might be blessed. Would you say that's true of you? Paul continues from this, and he says this in verse 23 as he starts to draw his letter to a close, he says, Peace be with the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he's kind of, as he ends this letter, he's drawing out the themes of what he's been talking about. He's like, I want you to know that God wants to have peace with you. That this peace has been made available by the love of Christ and it's accessed by our faith in what Christ has done. And So his whole concern is that we would be at peace with one another in representation of our peace with God. This is so big for him, and he prays for it all the time. He's like, I want you to know that what I'm praying for you is that you would experience a peace that goes beyond your understanding, a peace that's proof that God is part of your life. I mean, can you imagine what would happen if we would pray like this for one another? Because transformed people are praying people. We've talked about that plenty in this series. But it should alert us that this is not Paul's state. This is not who he used to be. I mean, this is the guy who didn't need anybody. This was a guy who was not concerned about uplifting and encouraging people. But now something has happened. Now he's a guy who's actually concerned about these things. And that goes the same for his compelling nature to pray for his people. Which tells us a little bit something. Some evidence that might be true in some of your lives and whether or not you've actually experienced the transformation of the gospel. Because when we are compelled, compelled to be praying for others, we can be assured that something has transformed us, because normal people don't do that. Normal people don't pray for one another. Normal people, even normal Christians, don't even believe that prayer does anything. But when you feel it in your bones, like, man, I've got to pray for someone, I've got to pray for my children. I've got to pray for my spouse. I've got to pray for my friends. Because if I don't, disaster might come their way. That might be a sign that this gospel has really taken root in your life. Because you believe in the power of prayer. And you know you need it like air and water. And that's where Paul was at. And then finally, he shares with us another example of what a transformed life looks like. In verse 24. He says, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And these final words, he brings up, he's like, Here's what my entire life has been about the grace of Jesus Christ. This is the grace. That he wants for us to have and he asks for us to have and he's asking God for his grace to be poured out on believers is a prayer that they will come into a greater knowledge and experience of the Lord Jesus Christ. That they will grow in a closeness and intimacy with the Father. That they will understand the full meaning and implications of their salvation in Christ. That they will experience God's peace and much more. He's like, this is my concern. That you know how much Jesus loves you. and That you would live your life from this. Knowing that God has given you Grace, and this is a sign of transformation that's taking place. Because transformed people long for those in their life to know of this grace. Paul has experienced it, and he's got this great concern that everyone he comes in contact with knows it. Would you say that this is true for you? Are you concerned that the people in your life, whether they know that Jesus loves them? Are you concerned that they've experienced the grace of Jesus? Are you all right with your family members and friends and coworkers, not knowing of the joy that is being presented to you? Evidence that you've had an encounter with Jesus that it's transformed you is that you long for those around you to know what you know, to experience what you know. And for Paul, this is how he lived his life. This is what he experienced. Now I recognize that some of you might be skeptical. You're like, Mason, I don't know if I fully buy into this and that's great and I'm glad you're here because I'm glad you're going to hear this next question because I want you to just think about this. If you see that this transformation has really occurred in Paul, that in the beginning of his life, he looked like one way and by the end, it was completely different. That he was more of a wreck, more of a lost cause than you could ever be and look what God had did for him. Then I want you to think about this. I'm going to ask you a question that hopefully will keep you up tonight. What if this is real? And what if what happened to Paul happened in your marriage? Happened in your school? Happened in your work? And in your family? And in you? Because none of us are as much of a lost cause as Paul. And yet look at the transformation that God brought in him you are not that big of a lost cause. And if God could do that to Paul, then imagine what he could do in you if you were to devote your life to the gospel. And what a time to think about that as we draw this year to a close. And the past year has been crazy. The past few years have been really crazy. Maybe there's some anxiety about coming into 2023 soon. I'm like, oh man, what in the world is going to happen? What if you already went into it with a game plan in mind? That this next year you're going to devote yourself to the gospel. That you're not going to just play the game like you've been playing, where you're like, let me just scoot on by with the bare minimum I think that's necessary for me to get into heaven, to me to be accepted. You know, I'll come to church every four to six weeks. It's good that you come to church, but what if God wants more than that for you? What if you're like, man, I'm good. I just throw a 20 in the offering book as it goes by. What if God wants more out of you than this? What if in 2023, if you had the mindset thinking, man, I want to be everything that God wants me to be. And so you devoted yourself to knowing this God. And you devoted yourself to this gospel. What if in a year's time, God had turned you into the new Paul? What if God had done something truly remarkable by the end of 2023 because you took this seriously what if that would bring a transformation in every relationship in your life look we're going to kick off the new year with some challenges we're going to kick it off with a series to excite us to do this very thing to devote ourselves to this gospel and see what God does with it when we say God here we are we're not holding anything back We want all of you. Because that's what happened with Paul. And everything changed. And as I think about the story of Paul, and I think about everything that we've looked at in this letter of Ephesians, and it comes to a close, and we've been looking at this never-changing gospel, the the idea I am left with, that I have no doubt about, that hopefully would be an encouragement to you, is to know that the never-changing gospel will not stop Until it transforms you. Which is really encouraging. Because God is not done working in you. God is not done working in you. Tomorrow is a new day. And you get the opportunity to invest back into God. Or you can continue doing what we've always been doing. And we can watch as our kids and our grandkids leave the faith because they don't see that this is true in us where we can take it and say, Jesus, I believe that this is real. I believe you do something with this. I believe you did something with this in Paul, and I can't dispute that because that's a historical evident fact. It's been verified. As I'm going to ask, would you bring a transformation in my life? And some of you need that. Some of you have experienced that. Some of you have joy in your life that you thought was never going to be there, even in the midst of grief. Some of you have a peace in your life that you think, man, that that shouldn't be peaceful in the chaos of my life. Some of you have a real sense of purpose. Some of you have a real sense of belonging because the gospel has been real to you. But not all of you. See, I'm just going to be very honest and very blunt. There's some of you who claim to be Jesus followers who are not Jesus followers. And we're going to end this year. And my hope, my hope and prayer is that you would not walk out of here just the same way you were before. My hope and prayer is that you would think about who you are and whether or not that is actually in line with the gospel and whether or not this gospel is actually true in your life. Because we can't keep playing the game, my friends. The world is changing. Right now is the opportunity for us to show our community and our world, this is what Jesus is like. This is what a Jesus follower is like. Will that be true of you? And you see, for some of you, that just starts with the getting to know this Jesus. And some of you, you're not a Jesus follower. Some of you, you don't really have a relationship with Jesus. You're a good church attender, but you're not a Jesus follower. Only one of those is going to get you into heaven. You can come to church your entire life. You can serve in every ministry in the church. But if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, then it was bogus. And you're wasting your time. Unless you get this right unless you know Jesus do you know him don't end this year making the same mistake you always do don't leave here unless you know for sure maybe for some of you that means you need to come and you just need to pray in the next song maybe you need to come and talk to me before you leave or talk to one of our elders or talk to Dave or other pastor but don't leave here Missing out on the opportunity to have your life changed like, God, like it did for Paul. Miss out on the life that God wants you to have. Won't you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the transformation you brought into Paul's life that we can see the evidence of it. So even if we're, we're skeptical, even if we think, man, this is all bogus, we have something truly verified in history in these historical documents that says this is what happened when someone encountered Jesus. And you've shown us such a model in his life as, it, as it's drawn to an end. And we can see these elements that were not part of Paul's life beforehand. But we're a part of it once you got involved. And my hope, Father, is that you are speaking right now, and maybe to someone's heart, to say, look, this is something that you are neglecting. This is something that is not true of your life. So that this morning things might change. For many of us, we, we are Jesus followers. We're committed to this. And so, Father, I'm going to ask, would you just continue to work in us so that these elements of transformation might be true of us? that we might have a burning passion and longing for those in our lives to know the gospel. That it might be seen in us and how we're willing to do whatever it takes so that others in our lives are blessed and uplifted and encouraged. May you compel us to be in prayer for one another. And not just the cheap game we continue to play, but the real thing where we are hungry for prayer. We're eager for the opportunities to pray for one another because we know that you're doing something in the midst of it. Father, would would you humble us? Let us be comfortable with admitting our weaknesses, our faults, our need for help amongst the body of Christ so that we can watch you work because that's how we come to you in the beginning, the admittance that we need you. Father, may this transformation take place in our midst. Father, I would ask, as always, would you let it start with me? Whatever discomfort and pain that calls for. Because we want to know you and love you and share the good news, and make you famous in this community and to the next generation. It's in your name I pray. Amen.